0: Hello everyone, thank you for joining us once again on the MBS show. I have stolen control, and I'm now your host, Silver Quill. But have no fear, the former host, and will be future host, is still with me. We have podcaster and planeswalker extraordinaire, Norman Sanzo.
1: Hey guys,
0: how are you guys doing?
1: I can't hear them.
0: Are they good? I hope they're good. If you're not being good, be good. Oh no. Don't make me come over there. I hope they're good. Well, it's 2020, I'll understand if you're not feeling too good. (sighs) But that's why we decided to do something fun. For yes, today we're going to turn up the volume and yank out the knob. <laughs> because we've got it all. We've got it all on UHF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes, this is a, a a movie from way back when, when I saw it as, in, as a child when I was nine years old. Wow. Came out in 1989, the, towards the end of the 80s, starring Weird Al Yankovic. A movie that was panned so thoroughly, he wondered if he had killed all the uh, critics' dogs without knowing it.
1: <laughs> oh man,
0: yeah, this this almost killed his career. Oh, that's something else. I mean, well, it's based on risk, but hey, he—I say he more than bounced back from it. True, 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 true,
1: and yeah, this this movie is just—I <laughs> I like it. Um, I discovered this movie. Uh. A little bit later in my life, uh, when I was what, in, the, in the 2000s, something like that, uh, two thousand and uh, I'm just thinking two thousand and what ten, uh,
0: it's the the mid two thousands. So almo- almost twenty years after it first I- debuted. Mm,
1: no, not really. Almost debuted. Like when I saw it, like when I saw it, I was a teen or pre-teen, no teen, teen and older. Oh, so last week.
0: <laughs> yeah why not yes <laughs> that's, that's your whippersnapper me but still um sorry for stealing your thunder silver so what do you have to say well perhaps i should start with just giving an overall summary of this we weird al plays george newman basically an everyman with a wandering imagination who comes into possession of a local broadcast television and through some of the oddest talent you will ever see he begins to build it up into something bigger. It becomes a number one rated show, beating out even networks, which puts him into conflict with R.J. Fletcher of the local network. And boy, things just escalate from there in absurdity and also sheer mustache-twirling villainy. Now, re-watching this, because I don't think I'd really seen it since uh, 1989. And some jokes really hold up some i've quoted in my videos which is anytime you can get a little bit of quotation out out of a movie then it's done something right at the same time there were other jokes that just didn't really uh jive with me anymore and it's kind of funny to talk about the multiple styles of humor brought into this so we'll tackle that bit by bit unfortunately our friend torterra he could not join us this time but uh Maybe we can, for Patreon sponsors, we can ask him next time, did you watch UHF and what would you think? Is it a great movie or greatest movie? Yeah, let's just hope he watched
1: it, at least just for the fun of it, because it is a fun movie. Like, the movie itself is not... Let's just say it's not a masterpiece, but it is fun. Like, how Kung Pao is, this is just fun. Like, uh, just look. Just watching where L
0: does his stick is just really awesome. So, we will pause very briefly to allow you to go and see the movie. I think it's only like an hour and a half.
1: Yeah, an hour and... Let me double check. It's an hour and 30... Hour 40. Let's just round it up.
0: An hour and 40. So, it's it's a good short view by movie standard. So, go on. Just enjoy it. We'll be here.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: We're still here. They're are they back yet? Are they back? Yeah, I think they're back. I think they're back. Darmin,
1: no, I, mean, I don't think they're really
0: back. Oh no. I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. Are you sure? What are you sure are you sure this isn't just a bunch of doppelgangers? Eh, I
1: don't know. But let's just say they're back. Let's say they're back.
0: Alright, fine. Welcome, Doppelgangers. So, even before we dive into this, I want to point out that the strangest thing is that. The straight man in all this is Weird Al Yankovic. Think about, think about, uh, what funny things does he do outside of his imagination?
1: Hmm, not much, really. I mean, uh, there's the scene where he does a uh, parody of, oof, who's who's that guy that does all the, uh. Dr-
0: the controversial talk show thingy. Oh, Jerry Springer? Yeah. Uh, there you go. But even there, I would argue that the the humor lies in the absurdity of his guest hosts. <laughs> True. I mean, he's interviewing Satan for one, for <laughs> crying out loud. I almost, I almost said for Christ's sakes, but I feel like that would be meta. <laughs> but, but here's... Okay, as this starts out, we witness Weird Al... Let's just say it's Weird Al, Mm -hmm. reenacting uh, Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. But here's the first form of humor we witness. This is very much in the absurdist nature of Airplane. (laughs) And to to a much lesser extent, uh, scary movie, epic movie, Meet the Spartan, you know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But this is just more absurd. Weird Al's character is taking this totally straight-faced, working through it as best he can. But all around him, in in there are ancient warnings, but also stop signs. Police do not cross tape. And uh, caution beware of punctured attires. His guide is, flees in terror and is hit by a bad green screen. <laughs> but it's cool. It's, it's really dumb. Oh, my God. Bad green screen is a train. <laughs> bad green screen. I, I have not seen... Green screening that obvious since, uh, uh, oh gosh, the Jackie Chan and Jet Li movie. Oh, Journey to the East. Oh, I think so. But e- either way, when you see bad green screen, it's almost com- comical in itself, yeah, which but, part makes it wonderful. But this was what 1989? So the green screen was okay. Yeah, we were getting there, technology was still working on it. Mm-hmm. But we quickly discover that this is all happening in the head of George Newman. A a guy who's drifted from job to job. In fact, as no sooner have we met him than he ticks off his boss and gets both himself and his friend Bob Steckler fired through what may be the longest throw in the history of, of cinema. Because they are going, whoa, for a good minute and a half. And yet they only land, like... 10 feet away, I'd argue that there's a lot of verticality to that throat, kind of an arc. <laughs>
1: yeah. It seems that way. Like, uh, Big Bertha? Big Edna. Yeah, Edna has a. She has a chewing arm.
0: <clears throat> but no speaking lines. Mm, true. Like cheese piss. Yeah, we should. I should mention that uh, Bob Steckler is played by David Bowie. Not that David Bowie. I keep telling everyone I'm not David Bowie. <laughs> but yes, this actor's name is David. Well, it's B-O-W-E. David Bowie? I guess. Bowie? So. I guess. David Bowie. <laughs> now I'll i I'll weigh in right here with David's character. He's really there for exposition. One of the awkward things, including as we meet as we meet uh both uh Weird Al, sorry, I say Weird Al George's uh friends family his love his love interest uh terry campbell played by victoria jackson Mm -hmm. uh and his uncle his uncle uh let's see here i'm trying to remember who his uncle i man i'm having trouble even remembering i believe it's filio uncle filio played by anthony Mm geary all of them are basically summarizing george's life to him they are telling him about the life he's already lived. You've j- wandered from job to job, and when are you going to take things seriously, and yada yada. So, right off the bat, we're painted with a very explicit picture of George. We don't know too much about everyone around him, other than the fact that they love to recount his life. But all that changes when his uncle Filio, uh, who is has a gambling problem, He loves poker. He especially loves the racetrack. He gets the deed to the local broadcasting station, which is basically on its last legs. In fact, he's quite uh, overt in saying so. And so his aunt, uh, George's aunt, says, hey, I know just the person to run it. And that is how both George and uh, Bob manage to become owners of a TV station. And all this happens in, I'd say, the span of what, 10 to 15 minutes tops?
1: Yeah, I, I think they were just rushing in to get the story done, like just getting the content, like, okay, this is what's going to happen. Uh, the Most of the brunt of the story is just going to be them running the TV station, and I don't mind it. Like, rushing through to get to that point is, well, kind of important, I guess, because nobody really wants to have a... Half an hour seeing where how George gets the station that's superfluous, like the main meat of the story is them running it,
0: yeah, Norman, I'd like to know your thoughts on just this sort of introduction you you've we meet several characters in relatively short order. The art form is
1: pretty interesting. It's a rare breed of storytelling where you get certain characters in. Just to do uh, exposition, like the Exposition Express, (laughs) like the Friendship Express, where okay, we are introduced to George, the main character, Bob, his best friend, Uh, Why (laughs) we already know their best friend because they get kicked out from work together, and Bob doesn't want to bash George's head in with a crowbar, because he still owes him five bucks, haha. We then are introduced to uh, Kino. The karate instructor that lives above or has a dojo above the store and where George lives. And we are quickly introduced to George's girlfriend. But the important characters or some of the what do you call this, uh, the, the important part of the story are told. Uh, we are introduced to George's aunt who is rich and also has... I won't say high hopes, but believes in him because he's a good guy. And then we are introduced to his uncle, who is a gambler, like you mentioned before, and he like it's really fast paced and everything is put into place where okay, we get this, we get this. Uh I, I think it's it's a it's a chain where George okay, main character George, George has best friend, best friend, and then uh George has a girlfriend. Okay, here's a girlfriend and then uh, um, George is a bit special in terms of his mindset. So uh, I, I don't remember how he managed to go to the party that his aunt's doing. Then aunt introduced, Then we are introduced to the uncle, which is the husband. So, so everything seems to connect pretty neatly in how things are done.
0: In my case, a lot of these characters highlight what I would consider to be the main prevalent humor in this uh, movie. Really? Especially Kino, who is oh, yeah. probably my favorite of the humor. Kino doesn't really he doesn't... play a big part,
1: but he is my favorite. Especially the, <laughs> uh, especially when he gets his own show.
0: <laughs> Actually, I think it's pronounced "Kuni," because uh, I hear Kino and I think Co- of Kino's so, travels. Yeah,
1: sorry, sorry, sorry. it's Kuni. Why did Co- I say Cooney Kino? Played by, oh Kuni. Because you're probably thinking of the anime Kino's Journey. Uh, yeah, probably. But uh, at the same time, too, I'm thinking about his store outside because I thought that is it's an O. My bad. Kuni is
0: played by uh, Ged Watanabe. And he he's really the first taste of you have a guy who's relatively normal. <laughs> i <I'd> put George <laughs> Newman. He's kind of an Adam Sandler character. He's uh, misunderstood by everyone. He's a big dreamer, marches to the beat of his own drum in his head. But he has trouble fitting in with pop culture and the or uh the surrounding environment, and so he's put he's he's ostracized in a certain way, and everyone's disparaging of him. but we don't want him to look too bad, so we'll show we'll surround him with some people who uh have it worse and we'll be we'll follow up on that very shortly mm-hmm. but by and large, the humor is that George goes through this world where Everyone is just bonkers. Cooney is throwing people out of his windows. And he has, he uh, George will ask for the time. Well, a fist slams through the door with a watch on and he does a double check. And he takes this all completely in stride. The weirdest he gets is trying to feed a dog punch from a bowl and then leaves the dog in the bowl. But it's kind of weird to see Weird Al playing the straight man.
1: It's, it's
0: true, but at the same time too, when you really look at it, he
1: lives in—I <laughs> won't say that—he uh, lives in a strange world, but he surrounds himself with a lot of eccentric people. Because uh, as we go on, we see a lot of uh, let's just say cuckoo for cocoa puffs kind of creep uh, people. Uh, because what we uh, at a TV station we meet with uh, a quote-unquote mad scientist. Uh, we see a lot of the people that he gets on the TV station are very special in their own way. To put it mildly. But what about you, Silver? What, what do you think of the quick pace intro? Like,
0: uh, I, I say my piece, and I say it's a dying breed. Well, here's the thing. there are, We meet a lot of characters, but there's not a lot of interest in them. I gotta say, Terry Campbell, the love interest, is so anemic a presentation. She she's just monotone. She's there to look pretty and to shun him for, for George for being a uh, screw up, but she has no real role in the story.
1: But at the same time too, like I, I think uh what? Uh, Terry Terry's a good counterpart for George because she is grounded. She's blend. She just she's just there to, quote unquote, try to support George, but Georgia is kind of a dreamer, and is uh, forgetful and whatnot. So, I, I think she's just there to just ground him, but George, being George, <laughs> uh, he means well, but he's just well
0: he's forgetful forgetfully gets lost his own head and in his work and in trying to be a success. Uh, and eventually Terry does dump him for forgetting one too many times, which leads to probably the creepiest scene in the whole movie, which I will get to a little later. Basically we reach then. Okay. They've got, they've got ownership of this TV station. They are, they meet their mad scientist who basically lives there and runs the, runs the programming. But then, we are introduced to the antagonist of this story. While George is, is arguably his own worst enemy, we also have R.J. Fletcher. Oh, that R.J. Fletcher. Yeah. He, <laughs> he's, he's such a meanie head. Yeah, he's, he's corporate. He,
1: he's the man. He, he stifles the uh, little man and stuff. Like, oh, uh, indies. Bad indies. Indies bad. <laughs> All he needs is a top hat and mustache. Which, <laughs> I have to read something from the trivia page. Um, okay, uh, according to Weird Al, uh, Kevin McCarthy, uh, R.J. Fletcher, would often break out in laughter after finishing a take in which his character was especially nasty. So, he even finds the character just <laughs> utterly silly.
0: And this ties into the idea of filling this world with extreme characters. I think a lot of people would would find this guy cliché. I mean, he's meant to be irredeemably awful and selfish. And so you want to see all the bad things happen to him. Uh, but that's part of the humor. This is, again, a world populated by extremes. And so if you, if you stop trying to say... I think if you're looking for the characters to be really human, you won't have as much fun. It's more get swept up in the absurdity. Which which is what they did
1: in the very beginning, because uh, if they were to portray the world in a normal light, then everything or anything that other characters would do would be bad, would be just insane would not make sense but for the very beginning of the movie they already shown that uh, not including where else imagination uh, that this is what the world operates in and this is how silly things are like big edna throws george and bob out and it takes them a while to land and what uh, Kino oh sorry not Kino uh, Kuni not Kuni yeah Kuni Kuni throws his beginner level students out the window and calls them stupid
0: <laughs> what does that which say which is probably the the most quotable line from the whole movie
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true no 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 no. The, the quotable line for the movie is later on I don't want to spoil it because it's just too good oh my god but uh we are we, we are introduced to this world like the, how insane this world is oh by the way uh favorite part favorite joke for the beginning of the movie is uh we got a bum who is asking for change and where l has um a dollar worth of change and the guy picks up a dollar and gives him a dollar like in pap-
0: uh, in paper form
1: like I did not see that coming
0: <laughs> yep again Populated with absurdities. Like, and so and so it's the straight man, but the world around him is is the humor. And yes, RJ R. and his his almost cl- cliche villainy isn't is a lead in <laughs> to a very prominent character. Stanley S- S- Sp Spar- yeah, Leski let's get, let's get I guess so. S- well, either way, it's a difficult name to pronounce but here's the thing, you uh, was it Channel 62? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad they weren't Channel 69.
1: <laughs> oh, by the way, um, the Stanley character is played by Michael Richards. or Mich- yes, Michael Richards. Uh, Michael Richards is well known to play uh, Kramer from Seinfeld.
0: And honestly, I feel like after Seinfeld, his career took a real downturn. Yeah,
1: I, I guess people know him for uh, Kramer and his typecast, I guess.
0: Mm. He's also got a heck of a temper. He was, he was uh, in a skit with Andy Kaufman. Oh, when Kaufman sabotaged it, and you could really see his temper on display. Dude has a fuse. <laughs> But Stanley is sort of the culmination of the message that channel 62 is a place for outcasts. We earlier, we are introduced to Pamela Frank uh, Finkelstein played by the nanny Fran Drescher. <laughs> yeah. oh, man. She wants to be a news reporter, but she encounters some very blatant sexism. Her cameraman, who is a little person, he gets physically knocked over by other people. Everyone associated with this channel is kicked out they're they're more outcast than george so he's a he's a median point not accepted by the culture at large but not quite weird enough to be amongst the uh, outcasts that inhabit 62 and so stanley is the ultimate expression of this as he is fired and is basically weeping for the loss of his mop which he got when he was what eight years old? Yeah, eight years old. So he is given a job, and once Stanley, once uh, George hits a low point, he gives Stanley the show, uh, sort of a Howdy Doody, uh, Blinky the Clown esque show, and lo and behold, it is Stanley in his quirk and charm, and sheer what the hell <laughs> that gains an audience. Now I'll say this: uh, I, I glossed over the state of Channel sixty two because, in my eyes, this was the most boring stretch of the movie. It wasn't that long, but it felt longer.
1: Yeah, I, I feel I felt that the, uh, the how to put it? I felt that the part where them just showing us the mundane things that channel. 62 is like how unsuccessful they are and the, them trying to do new stuff is well I won't say boring, but it kind of felt like it was dragging, but not really. It was really short. But I think that's the point. Like this is how they are, and if they don't improve, they are screwed.
0: They are. This it's they're one step away from bankruptcy and being closed down. And but I agree with you, it did feel like it went on for Ever, because it's not even terribly funny. I mean, there's a scene where a guy's finger gets cut (laughs) off, but that's just to break the monotony. Yeah, but... I I honestly feel like if George were a more expressive, reactive character, like just passing out from sheer boredom, (laughs) that might have pushed it, uh, gotten more humor as a reaction, maybe be a proxy for the audience's boredom. But
1: also at the same time too, uh, the ads, the ads for the, sh- from for the movie for the you know, for the station is pretty entertaining. Uh, especially the first one, Specialist City. Uh here's a yeah. trivia for you. For the short of Specialist City billboard, the producer bought a billboard on a remote stretch of highway. For months afterwards, the drivers thinking the exit would ask. Nearby business about Spatula City. The ad was finally removed after business complained.
0: <laughs> honestly, mate, honestly, it sounds like you should really just open a Spatula City. <laughs>
1: uh, I guess. That, that, that seems like a good concept.
0: Well, whenever YouTube dries up, we've got a fallback business plan. Spatula City, in the works. But anywho, uh, sorry to interrupt. I, I, I thought it was a good uh, trivia to read out. Basically, once Stanley uh, breaks through, it opens the door to have all, basically, the outcasts of of this community have a place to express themselves. And in doing so, Stan, uh, George and his company become the champions of the downtrodden. This is very much playing to the classic underdogs versus the establishment. But again, George is really underplayed for the most part. I found it funny that going back into his dream sequences, they used the Weird Al uh, Beverly Hillbillies song. And I have no idea if this was that music video's debut or if they just added it because it's like, hey, it's a Weird Al movie. Hmm. Let me see if I can find trivia on that one. But it feels like
1: the this the music video was for the movie. Uh,
0: give me a second. Carry on. Uh, indeed, I shall. Now... This, I think, is where the humor is most hit or miss because we're really playing up the strangeness. I love Cooney's A Wheel of Fish, <laughs> which is just favorite part, just favorite part, most quotable, <laughs> yeah, most quotable. But then we have uh, then we have this uh, this wildlife guy in his home, which is loaded with animals. And he's throwing turtles on the ceiling and, and shaking up anthills. Probably the, the best reaction is between uh, George and Bob as they say, why'd you hire this guy? You hired him. How he got a TV crew is beyond me. But then this is the thing I don't get about me. I laugh when Cooney throws his students through a window. When this, this wildlife guy starts throwing poodles out a window. And you see, there's actually a pile of them <laughs> below. I'm horrified. <laughs> Apparently, I like dogs more than I like people. That is true. Um, the, the
1: that that reasoning or that mindset is um is simple as this. Um, we as human beings love animals a lot. When we see, or in this case, dogs a lot, and. When we see dog get hurt, we get uh, sad, get angry. Uh, This was done in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. The artist, the manga artist for Jojo, Araki-san, he mentioned that all of his villains are cruel to animals. Uh, They always get killed or hurt. And he mentioned that he wants you to have a negative reaction to the villains and it's a cheap trick to do so oh by the way um i have an update on the beverly hill beverly Billy song um the beverly hill hillbilly song is in the movie as is a spoof to dire straits money for nothing uh using modified lyrics to bled off jet i cannot read this
0: this is way beyond my reading level sorry not to worry, but I know that it was a, a parody of another song. That's Weird Al's M.O., but w- was it made before or f- before this movie or for it?
1: I think it's so. for it, but by the way, uh, I click on the trivia in the chat so for
0: you to kind of read up. All right, the Beverly Hillbillies song in the movie is a spoof of Dire Straits, Money for Nothing, produced in 1985, using modified lyrics to Ballad of Jed Clambit. The thing down, blah, 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 agreed this parody. Oh, here's something. Uh, Mark Upfler, the leader of Dire Straits, agreed to the parody if he was allowed to play the guitar line. So here's the thing. That's kind of funny because years later, Weird Al would be blocked from uh, doing a uh, Slim Shady parody <laughs> because Eminem did not want to get in on the humor. Is... So I'll say it right, right now: Dire Straits is way better than Eminem in my opinion. Yeah,
1: but when you think about it, is uh, isn't Eminem's? Uh, well, I, I won't say whole mo humor,
0: but isn't he in for humor? No, he's. Is he's Eminem? I'm, I, hopefully, I'm not getting this mixed up, but he is. He is trying to be intense and serious, and th- say he's had a hard life. Uh, it could be the song. Even now, as he's a millionaire music producer who, can, once upon a time, he couldn't afford to even buy uh, diapers for his daughter. Now he can buy diaper factories. <laughs> now, honestly, I I think having a sense of humor wouldn't kill him. True, but either way, I digress because, well, we're talking about UHF. But I'm curious if this if this music video was made for this movie and continued onwards. I think it was made for this movie because um, one of the
1: lawyers insists that the song be called Beverly Hill Hillbilly slash Money for Nothing, a title where El publicly states he hated the dream sequence is a short for short remake of the music video Money for Nothing with Beverly
0: Hillbilly's motif and where El. Yeah, it's understandable. Which leads us into the third form of humor, reference humor this is done everyone gets a a little moment of this case in point i was too young to appreciate this but but when i saw a scene where george has basically sculpted a mountain out of mashed potatoes and he looks at and he looks at terry and says this is important (laughs) this means something i had not yet seen close encounters of the third kind but that is a direct reference then later, as they're delivering badgers to this insane man's home <laughs> next to a pile of dead dog, he goes, Badgers, we don't need those thinking badgers And if you don't get that reference, I be for you. So every now and again there's a there's a little peppering of uh jokes and humor and references. So you're like, Oh, he talked about the thing that I know that is a thing. I find that funny. It's probably the shortest line of humor in the movie.
1: But but uh, I, I think we talk about Kino for a bit, but The Wheel of Fish part, like, oh my god, that is just... The setup was
0: just too good. Oh my god. And it's just his portrayal. I mean, this energetic, screechy host. I wouldn't mind... I'm not sure how long I would enjoy it, but I wouldn't mind trying that on real TV.
1: Because it's... I guess it's the concept. Because you spin a Wheel of Fish, that's already stupid, and you get the excited person... You know, just excited because he got a big prize. And when they bring out the mystery gift, like, oh, uh, what, do I get the thing that I know that I have or do I go for the mystery prize? What do I what do I go for? What do I go for? Oh I go for the mystery prize. And <laughs> revelation of mystery prize is nothing. <laughs> the way that Kino delivers it is like it's nothing. <laughs> The way he screeches shit and the way he she he berates the contestant for just <laughs> how stupid she is. Oh, my God. Ah, man, that's just so memorable.
0: But it's at this point that the plot begins to assert itself for uh, George's uncle's gambling addiction puts him in the hole for $75,000. Which, you know, even, even without inflation, that sounds like a pretty heaping amount. Also, his, his the guy trying to collect on the dead is apparently uh, Charlie from Charlie's Angels. Oh, really? We, well, no, but we, we never see his face, just his hand. And all oh, the things he does with that hand.
1: No, I, I thought it was a mm.
0: Inspector Gadget villain. Who was it again? Oh, Dr. Claw. Yeah, something referenced reference to that. See, I'd go more with uh, Charlie's Angels in this case. Not gravely enough. Mm, probably. Actually, it's quite, quite smooth talking, in fact. He's a smooth operator. But this then leads to RJ Fletcher. Oh, that RJ Fletcher trying to buy out Channel 62 to turn it into either a parking lot or a grocery store or something else. So, good Lord. So it becomes a mad rush to get to raise the money in two days. Yeah. All while continuing the programming of Conan the Librarian or Gandhi 2. This time it's personal.
1: Yep. Oh man, the, the shorts, the clips are just too awesome here because what? You you, you get Corner the Librarian and oh man, Corner the Librarian is just too good.
0: <laughs> and yes, George does get to take the absurdist role for just a little bit as a talk show host. As but again, I feel like it's his guest. I mean, you have a clanner right next to a little girl in pigtails. And it's the little girl who's biting shins as the clanner's head gets collapsed by a uh, thrown chair. <laughs> so it's like, well, I'm okay with this. Mm-hmm. Again, you throw a dog out out the window, I'm horrified. You smash a clanner upside the head? Eh, I'll Let's say something about you, Silva.
1: <laughs> with the news that, uh, call this R.J. Fletcher's going to buy out Channel 62. Uh, George and the crew... Decides to create a telethon, and it's a very interesting concept here. What was it again, Silver?
0: What a, a telethon! That's honestly, I don't find that terribly interesting. We call them begathons because basically you interrupt all the programming to have people talking about how great the programming is. True, but and it take uh, what they
1: ask here is not for donations, but a business proposition.
0: Ah, I.S. to to sell one share in the company so it becomes truly Mm community-owned. And one share for $10, by the way. Which, honestly, for one share, that's probably steep. But this was, what, 1989? So... Which means $10 is even steeper. Probably. But... Either way, it's their means to create a counterproposal to R.J. Fletcher. And they're doing pretty well because, again, Stanley, with all his absurdity, is a man of the pepper. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, of course, this is where uh, Fletcher and his network become true, true cliché villains is that they kidnap Stanley. And I don't know if the the guys holding him are meant to be satires of actual uh, mob movies. Because suddenly they're trying to be all imposing and intimidating as they hold him in the station. I mean, it's not like he's being held in a random warehouse or some such. He's in the station. And basically what we get is a roller coaster finish. Truly, in my eyes, the real climax is as weird as George, Weird Al, rushes to the rescue, having learned where his friend is being kept. Uh, he envisions himself as Rambo. And Rambo... I mean it's it's all the cliches that you can have everyone firing bullets and he goes untouched. Or that he just screams at the top of his lungs and things explode left and right. I mean there's a scene where he catches a bullet in his teeth, chews it out and, and machine gun fires out of his out of said mouth. <laughs> like George Doug, you'll get you'll get lead poisoning. So it that's probably the, the the last truly hilarious hurrah in my opinion. So for me, that's the climax. Everything after that is almost denouement. Because they get a chase scene, but once again it's Cooney, who may be the unsung hero of the entire movie. The greatest humor, the greatest skit, and now comes to rescue everyone from the mob. Uh and of course they rescue Stanley, and karma comes full swing, as our heroes are able to save their their uh station, which is now truly for the people, by the people. Owned by the and also an alien. Wait what? No, I'm not talking about bad hombres. No. I'm talking about the, the mad scientist dude who installed surveillance equipment to help slant, uh, to help defame R.J. Fletcher. And uh, who basically has been the, the technical wizard behind it all. He gives a literal, I must go, my planet needs me. <laughs> and I'll be as a kid, seeing his transformation did freak me out a little. I was eight years old. It's funnier now, but at the time, I was like, what the heck? Ah! Wow. My father often recounts that whenever my, de- my brother and I would be scared at movies, we wouldn't hide under the seats. We'd be on top of his head, grabbing <laughs> and holding on for dear life. Ah!
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I can see why. I-, I can see why you're freaked out. Like,
0: that, that there is... Yeah, freaky. <laughs> freaky dicky, And it goes completely unremarked as he teleports back to his home planet. So he was too he was too weird and wonderful for this world. Oh yeah, Pussy got to go home. <laughs> now Terry re, uh re- reconciles with George. I forgot to mention a, a scene in the midst of uh Channel 62's Meteoric Rise in the ratings to become number 1. They uh George leaves uh flowers taped to the front of her door with duct tape. Oops. It's not exactly the most romantic image, but the thought is there. Then she goes inside and he has broken into her home and left behind an array of I love you uh, balloons saying that life has no meaning without her and a neon sign. And in some ways, this is funny, absurdist in its extremes, but it's also creepy as hell. I mean, if someone did that to my home, I would change all the locks, call the police and get her a restraining order. <laughs> I mean, I, I, again, I get, I get funny humor in extremes, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, no, no, no I'm like, no. <laughs> uh, but Terry, run, run! This, this is not going to be healthy.
1: Oh, <clears throat> oh man, but still, it, it, it could be
0: worse. Oh man. Well, but they do reconcile. The debt is paid. Everyone is happy. Uh Pamela Finkelstein gets to interview R.J. Fletcher as he's not only lost his bid to own the another network, he's lost his backing from the F, uh, from the FCC. Uh, yeah, so basically he's screwed. Right, it's not FCC.
1: FCC, if I don't
0: remember uh, right, because
1: they're on the what you call this wiki page. I'm trying to remember. It's uh,
0: I get my acronyms mixed up. Mostly, I've been thinking of the CDC most recently. <laughs> yeah, that's relevant.
1: Uh, they say there's oh, yes. FCC man, so yeah.
0: Yes, FCC, Federal Communications Commission. So they basically, because they yeah. failed to renew their license and because he's just such a prick, they lose their backing. And we get, of course, even even the guy who was asking for change, he's the one who saves the day. So again, it's the underdogs pulling together to beat the man. Yeah. Who, who funnily enough is punished by the government and the system. <laughs> Which says something about this movie. Well, I mean, it often happens. As much as we usually go against the man being, like, uh, a business. An entity that sees itself outside the law. And we look yet rely on the law and the government to somehow bring reparations. Because they're the only ones who can hold that kind of power accountable. Even though we are still thoroughly pissed at our government and systems. Yeah. I think, I don't... I don't think that's a controversial statement. I think that's just fact.
1: True, Dad. But still, it's one of those cases where we vote in the people that we vote for.
0: I didn't vote for him. Well, he won. <laughs> With the fewest votes. But that's for November. Yeah, yeah, true, Dad. So, and so we get one final romantic uh, fantasy w- between George and Terry. Terry is now a brunette. I don't know what that really says. But that's our happy ending. Yeah, and also it's a reference to Gone to the Wind? Gone into the Wind
1: or Gone to the Wind? I forgot. Uh, Gone with Uh, with the Wind. (laughs) He
0: tries to say why not. (laughs) And thus UHF continues. But the big question is, did Stanley get his mop back? And the answer is yes. Stanley got his mop back. so happy. I'm all choked up.
1: Please don't question my masculinity if I cry. It's all good, man. It's all good. And
0: yeah. And that's UHF. Uh, a series, a show that one would never make it today.
1: Yeah, with how silly and absurd it is. Like, here's the thing um, Mel Brooks' kind of show can work for its time. But as time goes on, with movies like the insert movie here trope dies out. Those kind of movies don't have a place in our modern society anymore, which kind of is sad. Like the parody movies, they used to have a home in our media. Like what? Uh, we have what? Hot Shots. We have Airplanes. We have a lot. Uh, a top. What was it again? A naked Gun and stuff. Like, those kind of movies work. I, Robin Hood, Man in Tights, that works too. Like, those, quote-unquote, were uh, parody movies?
0: They were, but they were parodies of one story. The problem with insert-your-movie-here movies is that they try to parody five at once, sometimes without even seeing the full movie, just going by a trailer. Yeah, I, I... And in doing so, they have no identity. Yeah, and
1: it's <laughs> that, that is another topic for another day because... I feel like uh, the parody movies of Yonder Years versus uh, Insert Movie Here or whatever it is kind of miss the point. Like, yes, you copy the original or copy m- moments from movies and stuff, but you don't really understand the heart of it. Like, mm, Hot Shots. Uh, maybe Hot Shots not a good one. Like, Naked Gun those are parody movie of uh what that uh Clint Eastwood movie what detective movies Hard-boiled cop movies yeah hardboiled cop, crime c- to- crimes like there's uh dirty harry like yeah it's huh. a it's a parody of that but instead of having your lead character be a rough and tough um uh, man you get a Uh, almost senile old
0: dude, which is kind of silly and funny in its own way. Either way, uh, this one, in some ways, it is a parody of the underdog story against the man, Uh, playing up the absurdity of the underdogs. Except, again, I guess this is the thing I scratched my head over. George himself is relatively downplayed. And for a guy whose moniker is Weird Al, that's... Well, odd in itself.
1: Yeah, I feel like the movie, even though Where L is the lead, <laughs> Where L is the lead, but he's not the star, if you know what I mean. Like, the star of the movie are the oddballs that run the station or have uh, or do shows for the station because. Uh like you mentioned before, George's part in it is really tame. He doesn't really play that much of a role. Like Stanley is one of the uh lead characters that people remember. Uh we see shows like what? Um uh, I'm trying to remember, like uh Conan the Librarian, uh Gandhi too, and uh the ads that they have on TV. Like <laughs> We see the car salesman. He has great awesome deals. Uh, come to the store, or else I'll club a seal. <laughs> oh God, that one—that <laughs> was dumb. That was that was earlier on before the station got popular. <laughs>
0: uh, honestly, I think it would have been funny to later find out that the seal club ended. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's right. it can't work. It can't work. But still, uh, it's one of those things where this movie—it's. <laughs> It's absurd, but it's not too absurd. It's funny, but it's not, how would I it, say, dumb humor? The The jokes in this movie are
0: pretty smart, if you agree. I'd say they play up the absurdity. You don't have to think about them too much. You just realize, hey, that's pretty weird, and you get the humor. Mm, true. And it, you don't have to have an English
1: major to understand the... Lines and whatnot. It's it's just there. It's simple. Uh, oh, stupid. One of the stupid thing is just that um, kid won a prize. What is his prize? He gets to drink out of the fire hide, fire hose. It's amazing.
0: He's not dead. <laughs> that is already absurd to itself.
1: <laughs>
0: I I, just, I think you found the marble in the oatmeal. <laughs> It's like, wow, that's, that's what you're doing. And celebrity mud wrestling. Why not? With, we had celebrity death match for a while. With uh, Gorbachev. <laughs> so that's the humor. It's sort of a, wait, what? Yeah. But like I say, there's multiple forms of humor. There's, there's reference humor. There's absurdity. There's extreme reactions or just simple shock value. And some of it works, some doesn't, depending on who you are. This movie
1: is... It's interesting in its own way like i I find the part where the wildlife guy is uh, maybe it's my dark sense of humor but I find it funny where um he he has this reaction where okay I throw po- poodle out the window to see it fly oh no, it didn't uh. work never mind uh, it takes time for them to learn how to fly. <laughs> A pile of dead boys, dead dogs there. I mean, it's grim. I, I don't know why. I I had a chuckle. It's, it's not a good one. But still, I had a chuckle. But still, oh boy. Anything more to add, Silver? Because I could just go on and on. Like, Paul. Well, I will.
0: My final thought is this. Weird Al ages in reverse. Without that mustache and glasses, he looks in his 20s. He looks older in this movie than he looks right now. <laughs>
1: that is true. I
0: am so jealous.
1: It is true. Oh man. Yeah. The the what must the mustache, glasses really ate him up.
0: So I just find that funny. Uh and this wasn't Weird Al's only uh acting role. I mean he did play he did do a couple TV specials for a new album. <laughs> remember seeing one on Disney where he was allowed to be a bit more as he is in his in his songs just absurdist Mm -hmm. but again it's sort of that wait what humor and so that's his style I in some ways I I feel like this role didn't really play to his strengths Mm -hmm. he wasn't allowed to be weird he may have made a world that's weird but Weird Al should not be forced to be the straight man I, I guess but I feel like if he was
1: strange or he were to play the eccentric one it kind of mm, overshadowed the whole story i don't know like i understand what you mean but i feel like this was not bad like i understand why he did it and i don't know how we would change it like if you were to put him as this strange guy like it would overshadow stanley so much
0: And it's true, Stanley is able to stand out because he's the weird one. If he's supposed to be the flagship of this new network, or rather this new TV station, then yeah, he's got to be the oddball.
1: I think they represented it in this way where Weird Al tries to be the Howdy Doody um, representation show where they get kids and whatnot to watch the show and so on. But he failed. He failed hard. Where, knowing that the station is going to go bankrupt, he just gave up and decides to start drinking and gave the show to Stanley just because he don't care anymore. Like, just imagine this. Uh, Buildings on fire, just give the janitor a job. No, give the janitor a screen position on your TV station. To be surprised where he is popular somehow, like, wait, what? In the span of minutes, by the way, he somehow got the hearts and minds of the community to enjoy him or just appreciate or just like what he did or do, just being himself. And one of the few things I noticed is that Stanley here is honest. He speaks from the heart he knows how to deliver lines like he technically he's just not he's not delivering any lines he's just speaking from the heart and i think that's why the community the people enjoy him or appreciate him he has this charisma where on screen he's just awesome off screen he's a good friend
0: and so this movie goes for the heart in fact, in uh, one scene, I believe that Gandhi punches a guy through the heart. I thought it was the guts. Oh, God. All right. But with UHF so- celebrated, I may not remember it as fondly as I did as a kid, but that's that sometimes shows your style of humor changes as you get older. And that's not a bad thing. It was fun. There's still some very likable parts to it. It's not my go-to comedy movie, however. Yeah, there's a lot of other
1: comedy movies that came out after this. And yeah, there's a lot. Like, seriously, there's a lot. But for me, this one was kind of memorable. I I like this one because it has my favorite artists performing. And the story is just silly and fun. But now we look to the future and a return to the ponies. Mm -hmm. And talking about bad things... Bad thing number
0: three will be the next episode title. <laughs> oh yes, a return to pony life. Is it a sweet life though? Is it I don't know, but
1: in this episode Rarity tries to get rid of her bad luck before it can ruin her relationship with a new friend and she receives some much needed advice from an ex from an unexpected source herself. Mm. Anywho if you have any questions, concerns, or suggestions for the show, you can contact us at themitchu@gmail.com. You can also reach us on the Twitter. The show's Twitter page or the show account is at mbs show, and my personal Twitter account is at norman
0: sanzo silver. Where can the
1: good people find you?
0: Well, you can seek me out on both Twitter and DeviantArt under MLP Silver Quill. You can also support my videos and comics by going to Patreon or Ko-fi under Silver Quill. Uh, if you do a search on YouTube for After The Fact or, again, Silver Quill, you shall find me. And on Wednesdays, you can find me posting editorials and reviews on EquestriaDaily.com. Yay, go check him out, guys.
1: Those contents are gold. And also, please subscribe to our on iTunes, YouTube. Don't forget to press the bell icon to stay up to date and switch radio. And also, like our Facebook page. You can also catch us on the Links are in the show notes. If you would like to support the show, you can do so at preacher.comslash MPS show. With every support, you get a week's early access to review, discussion, podcast, exclusive, and deleted content. And a huge thank you from me. Talking okay, about thank yous, I would like to thank Knight, Jeffrey, Tristan, and also Master of Light. Thank you so much, guys. You are great. So, anyway, I have great Norman Sunzo. I am Cecil Vacril. And we'll, guys, catch you next week with another fun episode. Yes, sure. See ya. You get
0: nothing! Absolutely nothing! Stupid! This reference is so stupid!
1: Guessing <laughs> uh, <me> every time. <laughs>